0: Hope everybody's doing well today. Uh, Let me encourage you, as Andrea said, if you're a member of our regular tendered fullness Christian fellowship, uh, we actually expect you to be here this Wednesday night uh, for our family meeting. Um, She said it very nicely. I'll be a little more blunt. We think you should be here. Uh, It's a family meeting. It's a time where we share what God has done in the past year, looking forward to the year to come. So, uh, come for dinner at six, and we 'll have our family meeting following that uh, we won 't keep you too long, but we do want to share some things we believe God is doing in our midst and it 's just a great time for the family to get together also i 'll reiterate i 'm not doing all the announcements again, but um, if you are interested in coming to alpha if you um, if you know about the Christian faith but you 're not sure of some issues about what is the Bible and what um, who is Jesus Christ and the power of God at work in our lives, but you would like to investigate more, you're welcome to come tonight too. Six o'clock in the youth room. We'd love to have any of you uh, that would like to come or if you know of a friend who is searching for spiritual truth, this is the place to bring them. Six o'clock tonight uh, in the youth room. You have another week or so to join up, to be a part of it. Uh, so tonight will be a great, great time to, to be there. One of the things that over um, my lifetime, really, uh, I I have experienced, and you probably have too, is um, people's expectations that the Christian life is really boring. Um, People have this expectation that if they come to Christ, that they'll have to give up everything fun that they've ever done in their life, and that God is really this cosmic killjoy who's going to just pull all the fun, suck all the fun out of their life, and then the, all they're left with is going to church for the rest of their life and not doing all the things that they used to think were fun. Uh, now, I may be overstating, but uh, some of you in your hearts right now are saying, yes, I, I, I recognize that and have seen that. Well, I, I want to say this morning that somehow if that's the picture that we're giving of the Christian life, we have absolutely missed it. Because of all the adventures in life, the Christian life should be the greatest adventure, bringing the most joy, the most fun. Uh, I think that Christians should be having a good time and laughing and expressing joy because they, we, know our Creator, He knows us, we love him, and he loves us. We're part of the family of faith. We get the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with the world around us. We should be bringing joy wherever we go. Helen Keller once said that life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing at all. And I believe that we as followers of Jesus Christ should be living a life of the daring adventure that is the Christian life. When I was a young man, I mean, a long time ago, uh, in the 60s and 70s, there was this dude named Evil Knievel. Uh, anybody remember Evil Knievel? Great name, Evil Knievel. Not really his real name, but it rhymed and he went with it. Uh, Evil Knievel was one of the first... Now, if you ever watch the X Games today, what he did back in the 60s and 70s, is really tame compared to what they're doing now. I mean, I was watching the ski jumpers the other day and all the stuff they're doing. But back in my time, Evil Knievel was the dude. And I mean, he would jump motorcycles over. He tried to jump motorcycles over the fountains at Caesar's Palace. He wrecked, broke almost every bone in his body. Uh, say he was going to retire next thing. About three months later, you see Evil Knievel jumping over 10 buses at Wembley Stadium. And Evil Knievel's greatest... Um, trick was he was going to jump a motorcycle over a canyon the snake river canyon so he got this steam powered motorcycle he was going to jump over the snake river canyon and it was it was a terrible failure but uh abc wide world of sports for those of you who remember um the, the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. Uh, back in that day, uh, broadcast it live, and of course, Evil Knievel. His motorcycle fell right into the canyon. Uh, it didn't make it close to even. I don't even think made it halfway across the canyon. So then he says he's going to retire. The next thing you know, here comes Evil Knievel again. And he's not hesitating. He'll go. Jumping fourteen buses somewhere. I mean, he just could not get adrenaline out of his system. The joy of the adventure for him was what everything was about. There's a guy today named Alex Honnold. And I don't know if you're familiar with Alex Honnold. I would know nothing about Alex Honnold except I have a young man who lives at my house. who's actually in Spain right now who's addicted to climbing rocks. And so he actually chose to go study in Spain for a semester in order to climb rocks. Um, I know, it's, there's, there's some issues there. But uh, one of the guys that he follows is this 28-year-old guy by the name of Alex Honnold. You may know Alex Honnold because he was on this Citibank commercial. That's not him. He and this, he and this girl climbs this peak thing on the Citibank commercial, and she stands on the top, and he's right Right, kind of um, below her. Now, what Alex Honnold is famous for is free climbing. Free climbing means you're climbing with no ropes. No ropes. You with me? Just you and some shoes and some chalk, and you're climbing. And this is a climb he was doing, is do, did just this past January... Does that make your palms sweat just looking at him? I don't know. Do you get the perspective? He's on the side of a cliff. That's him, that little dot right in the middle there. The green stuff below, that's trees, in case you're wondering. out on the internet, you can find videos of this guy climbing. They did a 60 minutes report on him. He's climbed El Capitan, Half Dome, all those rocks in Yosemite. It's called free soloing. No ropes, no nothing. Now, I personally, I don't know this for sure. I'm not prophetic, but I believe Alex Honnold is probably not long for this world. Uh, I'm not really positive uh, what's going to happen to him. Fortunately, Adam is a little afraid of heights, so his climbing is lower to the ground, uh, even though he's doing, in case you wondered. But we we have people who will give their lives to seek after adventure. And and I want to say to all of us today that God is, is leading us in different ways to live a life of adventure. Jesus says this in Matthew 13, and this may not seem like an adventurous passage, but I think underneath, lies the truth of the great adventure of the Christian life. Matthew 13, verses 31 and following, Jesus tells them a parable. He says, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches." He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Then you may be saying, well, I don't know, that that doesn't sound all that exciting to me. You know, a mustard seed becoming a tree, yeast working its way out through dough. Here's the adventure of it. Uh, look Look at the size of these mustard seeds. They are tiny. They are a tiny seed, but eventually they become a tree. A big tree where the birds will come and rest. The disciples were very familiar with this image because these trees and what they represented were all over the nation of Israel. And they're also used in the Old Testament as a picture of the influence of nations. So like in Ezekiel chapter 31, it says this, so it towered higher than all the trees of the field. It's speaking of the mustard seed, and this is a, a reference, by the way, to the nation of Egypt at the time. Its boughs increased and its branches grew long, spreading because of abundant waters. All the birds of the air nested in its boughs. All the beasts of the field gave birth under its branches. All the great nations lived in its shade. He's talking about this mustard seed tree that then becomes very influential throughout all the nations. Uh, The birds would rest in its branches. The animals would give birth to their young underneath it. They would rest in the shade of this tree. Jesus was pointing out to those who are listening that the kingdom of heaven was beginning right there. That it was just a seed, him and his followers. Him and those 12 guys. It's beginning as a seed. But that seed was going to become a tree unlike any other tree. It was going to impact nations. It was going to impact people. It, it was going to be a game changer. Uh, like yeast in dough that changes all the dough, the Christian faith, when exercised properly, changes everything. It's a profound teaching that, that this kingdom can begin in small, unnoticed ways, but it never ends. I mean, think, think about it. The little town of Bethlehem, Jesus is born in a manger. Some shepherds and some wise men come, but really nobody, nobody knows what's taking place. That, that God incarnate, Emmanuel, God with us, was born On that night, it was so small and almost imperceivable, but it changed everything. Everything for all of us. You see, the kingdom came to them, the followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus planted the seed of faith in their hearts. And when he went through his death on the cross, the seed was being watered. And when he rose from the dead, the kingdom sprouted like a tree of hope. And then became the resting place for the church. You know that song, Little is Much, when God is in it? When it comes down to it, we, we individually, we're, we're special, but we're not all that special. I mean, really, there's billions of people on the planet. But God has chosen to work through us to impact the nations, for change to happen, for adventure. We should be living a life of adventurous growth in every single thing that we do. My call to us today in these points that I'm going to give us is this. Raise your expectations for what God wants to do through you, through us, through the story of the gospel to impact the world around us. We, we have, because his power dwells within us, we have the potential to literally change wherever we go. You've got the potential to change your workplace. You have the potential to change your family. You have the potential to change your school and whatever sphere of influence, whatever realm you operate in, because the gospel, which is the power of God, unto salvation. It is a great power. It's at work within you, so you have the opportunity to change everything. Let's look at these points. First is the adventure of my story. My story. Each one of you has a story, Uh, the story of our lives. We could spend the next hours, days, just each of us coming up here and sharing our story, how we came to know Jesus Christ, what our life was like before we met him, how we met him, what our life has been like since we met him, how God has changed our lives. It's the story, it's the story of an adventure. Here's here's how adventuresome this story should be. Jesus, in this same passage, gives another parable. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Notice the joy of the man finding the treasure. Have you ever have you ever really found something that was so valuable that you would give up everything else you've accumulated all of your life to get and you would say, that's it, I'm, get, I'm selling it all and I'm going for this one thing. I mean, not only is that an incredible risk, but the joy that should well up within us when we realize what the gospel is in our lives should make everything else that we have pale in comparison. I mean, it, 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 it brings joy and growth. I mean, sell everything to buy that field to get that treasure. Sell everything to get that one pearl. There is no other way that you get to come into relationship with the one who created you, God, except through Jesus Christ who indwells you. By faith, you receive what Jesus Christ did on the cross, his death for our sins, paying the penalty for our sins, and his resurrection, which brings us up to new life. And that's really what baptism symbolizes, death to the old man, raised to walk in a new life. That means everything else should be put aside for the glory of knowing him. And this should not be a story of drudgery or boredom it is a joyful journey of adventure you see this is not about what you had to give up in order to get a boring life right I mean think about it who would sell everything they have to get something that stunk I mean really would you I mean would you do that would you sell everything you had to get something that is so boring boring that all you can do is just kind of yawn about it for the rest of your life no the 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 truth of jesus parable is everything else is i mean it's not near as joyful as what i get the joy of life i'm not sure i'm convincing some of you um, that this is supposed to be a joyful life but it is supposed to be incredible Second point is the adventure of our story. This isn't just about me. This is about, this is about us. We are in this adventure together. It's about us corporately. On May 29, 1953, at the age of 33, a man named Sir Edmund Hillary and a Sherpa mountaineer by the name of Tensing Norgay became the first climbers to reach the summit of Mount Everest. Uh, you've probably heard of uh, Sir Edmund Hillary. Uh, Mount Everest is the highest point on earth. It's over 29,000 feet. Um, usually in the fall, I go out to um, Colorado, and the, the the camp that I stay in, the YMCA camp there, is about 8,000 feet, and then my brother and I and some other guys will hike up to about 10,000 feet, and I, I mean, I am sucking air big time. I mean, my heart rate gets jacked up. Uh, it. it I'm breathing really, really fast, and by the way i don't I don't consider myself to be in terrible shape, uh, but there's something about the lack of oxygen it's fifty percent less at eight thousand feet than it is at sea level and so imagine from ten thousand feet to twenty nine thousand feet, they became the first two men to ever um, scale that height It's a remarkable story of adventure. Teams before them had tried to scale it. Many people had died trying. They're the first two to successfully get there. Hillary died uh, in the year 2008 at the age of 88. And he is the one, because he's the first man, he and uh, the Sherpa Norgay were the first two to reach the peak of Mount Everest. They received all the fame and all the accolades. But the team leader was actually a, a guy from New Zealand from the man, by the name of John Hunt. And John Hunt and his team put them at the peak. Uh, the team, by the way, that supported Sir Edmund Hillary numbered over 400 people were in their camp and had helped get all their gear. They had over 10,000 pounds of gear that got them to a certain point before the two of them went on together. In other words... They're the ones that are famous, but it took a big team to put them there. And Hillary was once asked if the adventure of climbing Mount Everest, if he was ever afraid of dying. And he said it did cross his mind once or twice, but here's what he said really. He said, I worried at times that I might kill off some of my own friends with my crazy ideas. I felt in all honesty that my own safety didn't matter too much. Dying for me would mean nothing, though the discomfort involved frightened me off. But the others did matter. You see, no matter what it looks like an individual is doing, there's a team, there's a story involved with all the people who are engaged. And we are in this together. Jesus talks about the church and says, From him, meaning Jesus, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as what? Each part does its work. Each part. That means you, me, all of us. For our story, for this adventure to continue, every single one of us has to, listen to me, has to do our part. If you choose to check out, if you choose to not be engaged, if you choose to not use your spiritual gift, it's not only harming you, it's harming us. If, you know, what if what if my hand says, I'm no longer going to participate in Bart Brookins' body? I'm going to do my own thing. Or I'm just not going to be involved. I'm not working anymore. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to harm all of me, right? Same thing. If God has called you, he's placed you here, he's filled you with his spirit, he's given you a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ, the local and universal body. And if we choose to not do our part, then there's something of the adventure that all of us are missing. 1 Peter 4:10 says each one each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. We are to minister the grace of God to one another. Now you may be thinking, okay, well that just means stuff that's positive. I've got to be doing stuff, but sometimes it can mean Just doing what God tells you to do at that moment. For instance, um, years ago in the 1970s, a small college in Wilmore, Kentucky. It was a Christian college and they would have chapel services on a regular basis. And and something happened in one of the chapel services where the Spirit of God moved powerfully in the chapel service. And as the service was closing down, um, a student stood... And he came to the front and he confessed to the other students that he was a phony. That he had just been acting like a Christian. He had just been acting, but it really wasn't in his heart. With tears running down his face, he talked about the emptiness he felt. He begged his classmates to forgive him because of the effect that his emptiness and his lack of being engaged with God had had on them. I mean, it takes a lot of courage for a college student to stand up in front of other students and make that confession. But no sooner had he sat down than a young lady stood up and made the same confession. She, too, had been a phony, a hypocrite, just acting out the part. One by one, students started confessing and, and praying for one another and asking for God to move. Pretty soon, the altar was filled with students standing in the aisles it was time for chapel to close, the bell sounded, and no one moved. No one left. For the next eight days, for 185 hours straight, the revival continued in that ch- chapel. Classes were canceled because the students would not, would not leave. God was sending a sovereign move of his grace and power, and it began with one young man being willing to do his part. Now, your part may not be to come to the front this morning at fullness and confess all of your sins. Uh, So, if you're getting terrified that you're thinking that's what God has for you to do, it may not be. that. But what it means is that what God does lead you to do, you do. Because you never know. And sometimes the things that God is leading us to do really might expose some things about us. Where we have to get outside of our bubble and say, this is for the greater good what adventure have we ever been engaged in that doesn't have some risk involved and the devil will say to you the risk of failure is not worth stepping out i mean if if i were trying to climb a 1500 foot cliff with no ropes that is not a risk of failure that is a certain failure but when God moves in my life and asks me to step out in faith, it's actually a certain success, even though that it might look like there's a risk of failure. And you know what? People may reject us when we step out in this great adventure, when we say, here's what Jesus is doing in our hearts and our lives, and I just want to be faithful to his call. Rick Warren says this, If you really desire to be used by God, you must understand a powerful truth. The very, listen to this, the very experience that you have resented or regretted most in life, the ones you've wanted to hide and forget, are the experiences that God wants to use to help others. They are your ministry. He goes on to say, For God to use your painful experiences, you must be willing to share them. You have to stop covering them up, and you must honestly admit your faults, failures, and fears. Doing this will probably be your most effective ministry. People are always more encouraged when we share how God's grace helped us in weakness than when we brag about our strengths. Now, most of us, we choose to brag about our strengths and minimize our weaknesses. Can I get an amen from someone? I mean, is that not true? I mean, very seldom do we say, hey, let me tell you about how I failed miserably yesterday. I mean, I, I can't even remember the last time I did that, much less. Because we're usually talking about what we've done that is praiseworthy. But sometimes God uses our confessions of weakness to accelerate the adventure of Our story together third final point is the adventure of the story and this is the highest calling we get to participate with the outward expression of the gospel the movement of the spirit in this world here's what paul says in ephesians 3 this this passage is really really key by the way to the church who we are, and what we're to be doing together. This is a very, very important passage. And Paul says this, His intent, God's intent, was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to His eternal purpose which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus going to the cross, and Jesus dying for our sins, and us receiving Jesus and now going to heaven, is that not a good deal? I mean, if that's where things are. But Paul is saying this. That was not the limit of God's intent. The the intent that God has was that now through us, the church, all, all of us together who are the called out ones of faith, that now we should make known to the rulers of this, the authorities in the heavenly realms and to everyone around us the manifold wisdom of God. And that word manifold wisdom, I've talked about this before, it's like uh, taking a diamond, a big diamond, a beautiful diamond, and holding it up to the light. And the light hits the diamond like a prism. And the light goes out into all corners and it touches everything around, and it looks different in some ways, but it's, it's cast out. We are like that diamond. We're held up to the light of the glory of God, and when it hits us, then it shines into every corner, every place, everyone is touched by the glory and the manifold wisdom, the grace of God. Like the mustard seed that becomes the great tree, we who are little get held up to the glory of God and we get to share the story with the world around us. What's preventing this from taking place in our lives? What's preventing this from happening? Uh, There's, I make a whole list of fear and um, other issues that might be preventing us. But um, Jesus identifies one when he's talking to his followers. When he says, they came to Capernaum, when he was in the house, he asked him, what were you arguing arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. This is funny to me. You know, Jesus, he's looking at him. He said, hey, guys, uh, what were you guys talking about on the road? You know, no one's saying anything. Have you ever done this with your kids? They're talking, 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 talking. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Nothing. They don't come back with anything. they know. I don't want to talk to dad about this. I don't even want to know what we're talking about. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, If anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all. Jesus is saying, you want to be great? Well, here's what has to happen. What's required is that you become a servant to the others around you. It means nothing less than becoming the slave of everyone. Now, you would think that would be a pretty poignant moment, don't you think? Where the disciples would say, yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. I've got to be a servant. i got to be a... If I want to be great, i got to lay down my life. They don't get it at all. They don't get it at all because the next chapter, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished. While those who followed were afraid, again he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen. <clears throat> at this point, James and John have taken Jesus aside and asked him, hey, could we sit on your right and left? Could we, like, take the positions of honor? When you, we believe in who you are, and so when you come into your kingdom and you occupy your throne, could, like, me and my brother be on either side? Could, could you give us that? Oh, by the way, they send their mom to ask the question. It's really embarrassing. Um, And Jesus is confronting the whole issue because he knows it's not just them. It's the whole crew still thinking the same thing. He says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying to them, look, you want to be a part of this great adventure? Then lay down your life. Give it up for the kingdom of God, because that's what it means to be a part of this great adventure. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I know we've read this before. Do you want to be on the side where God is in opposition to you, where God is directly opposing you? Well, if we live lives of pride where we refuse to acknowledge or we think that we have got all the answers together, that's how we're facing God. But instead, if we come before God humbly and say, I have no idea what I'm doing. I I, I can't work my way out of this. God, please let your power be at work within me. God gives grace to those kind of questions. James and John, by the way, they got the point eventually. And they did have a great adventure in the kingdom of God. But that adventure was not what you might think it was. James is the first one who dies a martyr's death. He's killed within a couple of years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Um, He's killed by the sword, by King Herod. John, on the other hand, he lives the longest of any of the disciples. But it's not it's not the adventure that you might have thought, but he underwent persecution. He was exiled. Uh, he went through a lot, but it was, he did get the point and lived an adventure for the story. John writes this later on. He said, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. The John, John eventually gets the point, does he not? about laying down his life and serving and being a part of the adventure of grace? In John 20, he says, But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's purpose was to give his life in the telling of the story so that others would become a part. But it only came after he became humble and lay down his life. Here's one of the incredible things about this whole thing. <clears throat> if you choose not to participate, do you think the story's going to go on? Yes. The tree is growing. And it's growing with or without you. But you have the choice about whether you're going to participate with God and his purposes on this earth or not. We can try and stand against it, or we can join in and become a part of the story. This past week I read a a story about a cemetery in Germany, excuse me, in Germany, and of a grave that was there, and the deceased woman Who was buried in that grave had a very strange request. The marker on her grave had these words This burial place must never be opened. It belongs to a woman who did not believe in the resurrection. Now I don't know why you'd want that on your stone uh, to say you don't believe in the resurrection, but she was trying to make a point as an atheist that she did not believe in the resurrection, and this tomb should never be opened. She put it in her will uh, that though even if she was wrong and there was a resurrection after all, she did not want to leave that spot. On top of her grave, there were places. She spent extra money to have large slabs of concrete put over her grave and fastened down with heavy steel clasps. But in time... What they didn't realize was that a seed had been snuck its way in underneath the the slabs of concrete. It was covered over by the stones, but it started to grow and it slowly pushed its way through the soil and out of the ground. And as the tree grew and the trunk enlarged, the marble slabs were gradually shifted and each steel clasp was pushed up and torn loose so that the grave was actually opened. Just as Jesus says, a tiny seed can become a large tree. And in Jesus' time, the large tree affected everything around it. Consider your life for just a moment. Where would you be if he had not ransomed you? If he hadn't liberated you? Well, you would be self-sufficient, seeking to cultivate self-confidence for the purpose of self-glorification. In other words, you would be saying, here am I, and here's the universe revolving around me. (laughs) Some of us, we think people we know still live there, don't we? But that's not the way it is. You're part of a great adventure we're part of a great adventure we're in this together 6 months before his death the great adrenaline junkie former daredevil motorcycle rider evil Knievel, gave this word at the crystal cathedral where robert schuler is pastor robert schuler interviewed him Here's what Eva Knievel said. I don't know what in the world happened. I don't know if it was the power or pr- of prayer or God himself, but it just reached out, either while I was driving or walking down the sidewalk or sleeping, and it just, the power of God and Jesus just grabbed me. All of a sudden, I just believed in Jesus Christ. I did. I believed in him. I rose up in my bed, and I was by myself, and I said, Devil, devil, get away from me. I cast you out of my life. I got down on my knees and prayed that God would put his arms around me and never, ever let me go. Robert Schuller did something that he almost never did. After that, he saw, looked out and saw people just crying because of... I mean, here's this guy who is considered one of the greatest daredevils interesting term of all time who had now given his heart to christ and was saying this is the greatest adventure of my life people were crying and so robert schuler gave an invitation to, which they don't normally do at the crystal cathedral and said hey if you want to receive this jesus for the next half hour hundreds of people came to the front and received christ and they started baptizing them right then They baptized between 500 and 800 people on that Sunday afternoon. The greatest adventure that we have is participating in the gospel of Jesus Christ with the creator of the universe in the story of redemption and growth of his kingdom. His story should be my story, our story, And we get to participate in it. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Stand up with me if you would. Lord, we pray today that you would direct us and guide us and lead us. We pray that we would see the Christian life as an incredibly great adventure. Getting the opportunity to participate with you in the story of grace. Thank you Lord that we are a part of your kingdom that is ever expanding. I pray that if there's anyone here today who is not in relationship with Jesus they may know about Jesus, know the stories, know the Scripture about him, no, they may have been to church for a lot lot of their life. Maybe they're even trying to live the Christian life, but they're not really in a relationship with the one who can change them, free them, forgive them. I pray that Spirit of God, you would draw them to Jesus today to know that this is all about relationship with you. It's not about following rules. It's not about going to church. It's about a relationship with the one who loves us. Draw them today, Holy Spirit. For all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, I pray that the spirit of drudgery and boredom that we perceive is the Christian life would be driven far from us. And we would see the great adventure that we have been called to, the story of Jesus Christ, and that we would live our lives in joy and thanksgiving and love and humility and grace, and we would give our lives to serve others for the sake of the good news. I pray that as we go from this place, that God, you would just continue to minister life to each and every one of us. We thank you and bless you. In Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, and something I've said is, drawing you, and you would like somebody to pray with you before I leave, we'll have a couple of couples on my right and my left just to meet you. If you would like somebody to pray with you, either about coming to faith in Jesus Christ or if there's something else in your life you'd like prayer about before you leave, these teams will be here to pray for you. Isn't God, don't we serve a great God? Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me, Bless his holy name. Let me speak this prayer of blessing over you and you'll be dismissed.